Welcome to the Max Finance Podcast, where a certified financial planner and personal finance geek discuss how to make intentional financial decisions that maximize your money and achieve your goals. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Max Finance Podcast. Today, we are going to be chatting uh, about, I think it's a a popular one for a lot of folks. Uh, It's the rent versus buy. Should you buy a home? Should you rent? What are the trade-offs there? What are some factors that you should think about? Um, Obviously, I, I would imagine this particular conversation can go for many, many episodes, and we'll probably do, you know, follow-ups to this, but uh, likely picking off some of the big considerations and things to think about either way. Um, I guess uh, starting us off, uh, you know, it's interesting, there's all different ways that people think about either end of this spectrum, um, I guess, starting out with the American dream, right? Yeah, that often is the American dream for for many folks is is, is owning a house, you know, um, owning a house and what that what that comes with it, and that kind of stability and security that goes with it, and kind of sh- demonstrating to the to the world and friends and family that you've kind of you've sort of you've made, made it, it. And yeah, and you've <laughs> kind of settled down and figured it out. Yeah, so so maybe it's interesting that if if we tackle this in a way where. I guess uh, maybe we poke holes, I suppose, in the American dream. Like it, it's not always, I guess, to stay something that that um, maybe most folks know about, but it's not always the best case to own. Yeah, and I think it really just depends on on what what your family's or whatever your plans are. Um, I think that it's a big factor in it. Um, and what are you look? What are you looking for? And what are your priorities? Um, and I think just considering the the financial cost of it um, is important because it's it can be a like a, a great financial decision. Um, it could also be not so great of a financial decision. It doesn't have to be purely made of you know due to financial decisions. So I think just kind of understanding what are your priorities and what are your goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the biggest thing that that probably think folks are thinking about is. Um, if you're in the, you know, buy a home camp, that renting is just throwing away your money. I've I've heard that so many times. Yeah, that's that's not necessarily the case, like you're saying. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, again, I think you really just kind of have to to compare. Um, you know, what what would it cost to rent something? Um, yeah, I think people often would say that, but there's a lot of costs that are involved with with owning a house that. You, you don't pay when renting and may not even also kind of help, you know, build equity in that home. And so that, so I think those are just unique fees that only apply to, to owning a home that you don't really recover uh, when you sell the house. So in, in some cases you can kind of, I wouldn't call it throwing, throwing money away, but it's, it's the cost of, of, of owning the home and, and living in it. So it's in some ways it's kind of like paying rent still. Yeah, and if you're a, a new uh, or desire to be a, a new homeowner, uh, I think one of the fallacies is that, like like you're saying, that the the costs are the same. Uh, you know, I, I could just be putting the equivalent amount of dollars into something that I own, and I'm building equity along the way, uh, rather than um, rather than renting, of course. Uh, maybe we talk about some of the the other additional costs besides. Uh, so you got your mortgage, of course, right? Your, your principal and interest um and and just 
to get this out of the way. It's a it's set up in such a way where upfront you pay more interest, and over time you your uh, interest payment portion of the, of the payment goes down, and the principal payment goes goes up. However, the the overall payment itself, principal and interest, is the mm-hmm. same amount. It's just that relationship changes over time. Um, but yeah, aside from that, like let's maybe we start listing off some other additional costs. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, like anything, I think there's like, well, not anything, but there's a cost to, to maintain it. Right. Um, a house, um, there's, there's, there's things that, you know, roofs need to be repaired every once in a while. You may need to repaint things. Um, plumbing may need to be updated. I don't know. You know, you, you can probably, actually, you should probably talk, but you speak a little bit more here. You, you are, you are a homeowner or have, have owned a few homes in your life, I believe. But, um, yep. Yep. yeah, I mean, there are things that, that just need repair or that go wrong and, and that those, those incur costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so just kind of the next thing that comes off the top of my head. So property tax and mm-hmm. homeowner's insurance, that'll probably be your next item. Um, if you bought a home with less than 20% down or you have a, a product where you're able to get into a home and not have to pay PMI, even though you put down less than 20% down, it's a typical threshold, uh, you might have to pay private mortgage insurance. So, um, you know, those additional three items could push you well over the rent decision uh, already, or the, the amount of money that you're, you're spending on, on rent alone. Um like you're, I mean, the, the common th- theme, I think, throughout this is what market are you in? Obviously, if you're in New York, San Francisco, L.A., uh, super high cost of, you know, uh, the Austins, the Denvers, um, in some cases, uh, you know, Arizona's, Phoenix, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Seattle. I mean, I could go on and on. There's Florida, uh, you know, the D.C. area. I mean, there's there's all sorts of really high cost of living cities. And so, um, uh, the, the, the difference between renting and buying can be completely, uh, off kilter. Um, I, w- I would imagine those high cost living cities, it just is cheaper to rent versus, versus buy. Um, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, in, in addition to, uh, you've got uh, property, uh, property tax, homeowners insurance, private mortgage insurance, uh, if, if, uh, applicable, um, you also potentially have an HOA, homeowners association, if you live in a condo. Um, like you're saying, um, maintenance is a huge item. Like just uh, the constant costs, like if there's landscaping or if there's a pool or, you know, if, if uh, you know, if you know going in there needs to be, or, or some of the maybe more lesser known um, uh, costs such as, uh, you know, like you're saying, the roof, um, a water heater, air conditioning. Um, my goodness, there's all sorts of elements that when you assume the landlord duty uh, that, that fall on your plate. Yeah, and those costs can be, you know, it can really depend a lot on the type of house that you buy. I right? can imagine like, you know, if, if it's a condo, probably, you know, you'd probably be paying more of an HOA fee and, and more of those things are covered. But if it's a, a single family home, there's just more of those things, right? Like you have to, yeah, the roof is something that you have to worry about or be pay attention to and the yeah, exterior uh, painting, maybe the foundation. And um, obviously if it's a, if it's a newer home, you know, hopefully there isn't so many maintenance issues, at least in the beginning, but if it's an older home um, or in an area that gets a lot of weather or rain or near the, near, near the ocean, right? Just, different different factors that can really uh change the kind of the type of maintenance and the frequency that's needed so um and so yeah it's, it's hard i think because people don't 
um, you don't know when exactly something is need going to need to get replaced necessarily. And so uh, it's not a it's not like renting where you know exactly how much you're going to be spending every month. Um, you, you know, you can ideally put some money aside for sort of like maintenance, but you don't really know what a what are the things that are going to come due necessarily. I mean, obviously, if you know if the roof was replaced five years ago, you know, you might need to replace it, you know. 15 years from that, I don't know how often they need to be replaced, but you know, you should put money aside for certain things, but sometimes issues just kind of come up and you know, you need to deal with them sooner rather than later. Otherwise sometimes the cost can kind of increase if you don't repair like, like some plumbing issues. Right. Um, so yeah. Like what kind of, uh, homeowner are you? Are you the, the type to just fix issues just as they come up and, and just play whack-a-mole or are you trying to be proactive and, and look to see, and there's some, some maintenance items that you can, uh, this is this is one that I, I have not done, but uh, is is surprising to me. But and I should do. But um, your water heater, uh, you know, they need to be kind of flushed. Um, using the wrong terminology, I'm sure people are uh, yelling at their their uh, their device. But uh, flushed out and uh, cleaned in such a way where you're, uh, you know, getting rid of of all of the the, the buildup that occurs over time of just having water coming from the tap. Um, and, and that can, that can greatly enhance. So, you know, if, if you, if you didn't do that, maybe you had a, a useful life of that, uh, appliance for, I don't know, uh, 10, 10, 12 years, something like that. And maybe if you did, um, extend it a, a handful of years, 15, 20 years, something like that. Um, I also know other appliances in general, like, uh, you know, air, air conditioning unit, if you live in an area where you need air conditioning, uh, sometimes those are. Uh, 10, 10 to 15 years and, and but you can get in some cases 20 25 I've, I've heard even longer than that um, before uh, as long as you're doing kind of continual maintenance on there uh, versus versus uh, you know just handling issues as they, they come due and so I imagine if you're a new homeowner you probably don't have a laundry list or aren't exposed to all of the different elements and you just as you go along you get better and better at identifying uh, what maybe potential problems before you jump in uh, uh, head first there. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the point is, I mean, obviously maintenance with, with renting, you have that consistent, like you don't have to worry. But now on the other side of things with renting, you clearly, uh, there are horror stories out there where, uh, you know, the landlord takes forever or, um, you know, maybe get like bed bugs, um, you know, you've got mold or, or, or some other unit is, is disturbing your units. Um, I would, and, and most, off the top of my head, most cases, I think when you rent, you're, you're probably in closer proximity to others that, uh, maybe, which isn't always the case, but, uh, you know, if there's like an apartment building, so kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, so it's not all pros in the rent camp, of course, as well, but, uh, at least there's some consistency there where the onus is on the landlord to take care of those items. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when things do go wrong, you do rely on the landlord <clears throat> to be able to resolve it quickly. And so um, doing a little research there, uh, if you can, is, is good. Obviously, if you're renting like a single family home for, or you're renting something from a person who's just, they just have one housing unit for rent, you may not be able to find much. But if you're renting something in an apartment building where there's multiple units, maybe you can um, talk to other tenants or you know, do a little research on Yelp or something. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something you need to be aware of. Um, something also going back to kind of cost, um, you know, when you mentioned, well, you know, on one hand, there's the variable cost of all the maintenance and stuff of owning a house, but your mortgage and interest payment is uh, pretty fixed. Um, you know, it should be pretty easy to 
um, estimate your, you know, things like <clears throat> your property tax as well. Um, and, you know, renting, you may not have that, right? It depends on where you live. Like some places have very like strict, um, what do you call it? Uh, rent control or rent regulation where there's limits on how much the rent can increase over time. Some places don't have that, and so the rent can can fluctuate a lot more if you're if you're not in in a lease or your lease expires. So you know there's certainly def- there's a little bit more I guess um, predictability. Well, I don't know I mean, predictability in in some of the expenses, but obviously the, the maintenance of a house is is can can be unpredictable as well. But uh, it's a little bit more within your control, sort of I guess if you you know. But when you buy a house, you do all the d- due diligence and you have it inspected. You um, you should have a better idea of what you're getting and then you can really control everything, right? If, if something goes wrong, you can, you know, pay the <clears throat> the 24 hour plumber to come right then and fix it and maybe pay top dollar. Or if you can wait a few days, you can pay less. Um, you know, obviously have that flexibility with, with renting and, you know, your rent, your rent um, may go up you know, next year or something like that. Um, so that's definitely something to consider. Yeah, I remember when I was in Arizona, uh, when I was renting, uh, like you're saying, when when the market rate comes around, typically they do 12-month leases, and, you know, you just basically month 11, I think it was like 60 days out from, from ending of the, the current lease, they'd send you a notice and say, okay, well, here's the new rates. And, and it could be a real crapshoot where it'd be $100, $200, uh, or just maybe $50 um, more every, every month uh, for the same property. And, and uh, it, it's interesting because it, at least in that market, they didn't incentivize people to sign up for long-term leases because, of course, the, the, they could raise the rents uh, frequently. Um, obviously, when I was, I was in... Um, uh, San Francisco, it, it was it was pretty cool because there was uh, month to month, and um, I want to say, yeah, some of the buildings I lived in were rent controlled, so they yeah, they could only go up by a certain percentage every every so often. But um, I want to say when I was month to month, I didn't have uh, at least the properties that I was staying at did not raise the rent. I, I think you are allowed to raise the rent. Uh, if you're month to month to pay, if it's not a rent control building, yeah, if it's not rent controlled, certainly you should be able to put it at market rate, whatever that is, as long as you give notice, I think. But um, yeah, rent control units, I think it's like maybe two percent per year or something. It's some sort of index to some sort of mm-hmm. inflation or something like that. Um, kind of funny offside, but about so I re- we recently moved to a place outside of San Francisco. There's no rent control and. After our lease had expired, um, or actually as it was approaching, they had sent us uh, renewal letters trying to get us to re- renew them. And I just ignored them for six months. And I just kept paying the same price that we were paying, and it worked. And eventually, they they like sent me another letter on. that was like, okay, now you need to really pay. So, you know, not that I would recommend that, but it, you know, it was, did get us six more months at the, at the, at the first rate rather than the increased rate that we're now paying. So, um, yeah. Oh, and they didn't go back. They didn't say, "Hey, by the way, you owe us the difference for the last six months." I mean, pretty sure as soon as you if you cash that check, you're you're accepting the payment for that rent. Uh. So I mean, <laughs> I don't think they, you know, if they wanted to get the money, that money, they would have to kind of, yeah, do that the first time. So was this a big corporation or was this sort of a mom and pop operation? It, it is. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's like a large apartment building. It's like eighty units or something like that. Um, mm. Yeah. So anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, our, we moved into a place uh, September 2020, um, and now and, you know they 
I think like basically we're choosing to continue doing month to month and it's like, you know, $250 more a month than, than our first rate was. And if we would have signed a 12 month lease, maybe it would have um, been only $150 more a month. Pay, pay like a hundred dollar a month kind of premium to have an option of, of not kind of um, having a lease. Locked yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because there's not really in, in this lease, there's not really any, um, I don't know. Um, can, what's the word? Possibility, not possibility, but, clauses for for breaking the lease it's really just i mean as far as i know you just kind of pay through the end of the lease so it's not like you, you know so pretty pretty costly to, to break the lease if you want to leave early so paying a hundred dollars a month for that that option seemed reasonable to us so but anyway mm-hmm. but yeah in san francisco it's 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 can be very different and obviously every market can be different but um so yeah i think just also be aware of what are the kind of tenant um protection sort of in the, in the area that you live because in some places like san francisco it can be very very tenant friendly and um you know you, can, you hear stories about people that have lived in their you know, apartment for 20 years and pay a third of what it would go for now in market rate um mm-hmm. so you know that that can be an advantage that makes renting a lot more compelling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah um when you're talking about month to month i was just thinking back about my days in, in arizona like the way that at least i think i was dealing with a lot of corporations or bigger corporations so they would always when it come, came up for renewal uh they would put let's say that the rent was uh, i don't know twelve hundred dollars a month uh back then and, uh, you know, they, they put forth like, you know, the, the grid of options and then they would say one month option or month to month option. It'd be like $3,000. It, it was just insane. <laughs> but, but in my, you know, in NSF, and I think it more speaks to the, the tenants rights and, and pro, uh, te- you know, tenant, uh, 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 regulations and so forth. Uh, month to month isn't, isn't uncommon. In fact, there's, there's, I know a lot of people who do month to month just, uh, for that flexibility. Um, and I think that's a big element here. It's like, flexibility is such a huge like you're not tied other than moving your your physical belongings in there like you could go literally anywhere in the world yeah so that's got to be super attractive yeah no, absolutely not to say that that you couldn't do that when you own a home but it obviously it's a much much uh much more difficult uh, especially those those upfront costs so um maybe that's that's another element we could kind of touch on too so with renting, there's still an upfront cost. Uh, typically, um, usually it's some multiple of the months, or some version of security deposit is either some multiple of the months or some flat dollar amount. Um, so it's not like super free, but um, and also in some markets they require you to have a certain level of income to ensure that you're in a good spot. You know, I, f- I forget the the numbers. Uh, I think it was like three times or something like that. Uh, when I was in SF, you have to make sure you had your your gross income was three times the rent or something like that on a month to month basis. Um, but obviously, when you go to buy a home, that's where the bigger uh, yeah. down payment is needed. So yeah, just to go back to the renting. You know, obviously the security deposit is just a deposit, so you will get that back True. if you you know don't leave it the Do unit with any place. damage. Right? I mean, you know, obviously you hear horror stories of landlords you know doing shady things and, and withholding security deposits for like not not legitimate reasons, but generally like that's a deposit and you will get that back. So it's, I wouldn't really call it an upfront cost. It is sort of a, it's a cash flow issue potentially. If you don't have enough cash, you need to borrow it or, or save it up. Um, but to me, I don't consider it truly a cost. I mean, I guess there's a small opportunity cost because, you know, you, you may get back the exact same amount five years later. So it's kind of, um, 
you know, eaten up by inflation slightly. And even San Francisco, actually, there's some markets that, you know, in landlords are, are required to pay you some nominal amount of interest mm-hmm. on it. But um, so anyway, I don't consider it a, a big cost, although it, I understand it can be a challenge for, for people who are first making a move into a place like San Francisco where, you know, they're moving mm-hmm. from a much lower cost of living place and having to come up with, yeah, a, a one and a half months of rent. And, you know, that can be several thousand dollars. But uh, yeah, going back to, to buying a house, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, what are the, let's talk about the costs that are involved in, and not just yeah paying the mortgage and all the ongoing expenses, but the the kind of the buying the house because I think there's um, I don't know if it's quite a few, but there's definitely it's definitely can can add up, um, and a lot of those fees are not fees or they're not things that you're gonna get back you know when you when you sell the house necessarily they're just kind of one time fees that are associated with the transaction essentially. Yeah, that that is definitely one of the biggest items uh, the hurdles for for folks is is not just having the down payment uh, whether that's uh, you know. 20% down or, or 15 or 10 or whatever. I think uh, always as low as you know, two, three, two and a half percent, something like that, um, FHA wise. But um, it's the closing cost as well. So I typically recommend the, the clients, uh, this is sort of a national number, but um, you know, it could depend on the lender that you're going with and the environment that you're in. But usually about 1%, a lot, 1% of the purchase price for closing costs. Um, and as I say, some can be higher, some can be a little lower. So um, but, but yeah, what are those closing costs? I mean, there's, uh, a processing fee to, to, to process all of the paperwork associated with your application. Um, there are, uh, title and escrow fees, uh, prepayments that you might have to do for property tax and insurance, uh, prepay for a certain period of time, whether it's a year or, or a handful of months, you know, appraisal fees to go out and appraise the property. Um, there is probably like, you know, a list of 20 to 30 different fees uh, that you could get hit with that, that folks may not, may not know or uh, when they're, when they're first buying a home. So um, yeah, again, just probably you could do it to a lot 1% uh, of all of that. So that's an important factor when you talk about, well, how long do you have to live in a property in order to uh, make sure that you get, uh, that, that, that it's worth it. Um, and so my, my rough rule of thumb there is, is you know, if you, if you don't think you're going to be in a property for about three to five years, probably not a, a, a real good idea to jump in uh, if, if there's a likelihood that maybe you're, you might be moved uh, maybe due to your job, you're covering a region or something like that, um, or, or you find another job that's um, I definitely have clients like that where maybe they're living in, in, in the Bay Area and, and they get moved to New York and they find a better op, uh, offer um, or Chicago or, or somewhere along those lines that, um, you know, that, that just comes, comes along, you know, then you have to Put your, put your house on, a, on the market in a fire sale uh, way. Um, some folks are, are, are insulated enough where they are able to maybe cover the mortgage for a period of time, or maybe their company puts the, uh, gives them some some dollars to to help uh, with, with that process. Uh, but it's certainly not in, in an indefinite period, and it could be during a period of time when buying is is a great time to buy, but not a good time to sell, or vice versa. So actually, one percent. That's actually a lot lower than I had kind of um, was thinking. But I realized, you know. We need to talk about, I think, well, I think it's only fair to talk about the whole kind of life cycle because it's, uh, you're, you're, you're buying the house, but then at some point you're probably going to be selling the house too, right? So you might pay 1% to buy the house, but to sell the house, you actually pay quite a bit, right? Because you, you pay a, a real estate agent to, I don't know, to list the house and to show yep. it around yep. and like, how much? To, what percentage of the of the uh, kind of selling cost do you think is typically you know 
um, yeah, whatever charged for for that for that. The privilege of having your home sold. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So so you're right. Uh, there are there can be some markets and some environments where um, it's so competitive that it, when you buy the place, you cover your own uh, realtor fee. But typically speaking, it's it's three percent. For the buyer, three percent for the seller. So three percent is usually the, the usual charge there. Um, I know that there are companies out there like the the Zillows and Redfins who have realtors who are affiliated with those folks that are charging maybe one and a half percent, or um, in some cases too, you might have a, a, a realtor represent the buyer and a seller. Would recommend that because that is uh, how can you be conflict of interest free if uh, you're representing both parties? Uh, but definitely seen that be the case, or maybe you have a family friend that uh, is also a realtor, so that can help uh, with that. But typically speaking, when you go to sell the property, you would cover both sides. That that in most markets, that's a that's so that's what like six percent. Then, the case. yeah. Wow. So you're paying six okay. percent in addition to uh, whatever the buyers, you know, whatever agreement that you come up with, and say, oh, you know what? Hey, this needs sure. to be fixed. This needs to be fixed. Uh, so six percent, whatever else you, yeah, and then just like said, we said one percent to buy it, right? So so seven percent mm-hmm. is going is just it's kind of like a tax you know we can think of it as a tax it's not it's not going to the city or the, or the county or the, the state but it's money that is not you know it's it's, it's for facilitating the the purchase and then and then the facilitating yeah. the the sale right and for renting you almost never have that right i think maybe in new york or some very weird market like that there are some brokers fees and stuff but there's typically no i mean you know you're paying to movers to move you in and move you out and of course you have that also with with, with the house so yeah, i mean regardless. you know like let's just come up with a so let's say we're talking about i'll say a five hundred thousand dollar house i don't know it's probably uh-huh. higher than median house in, in the u.s but certainly very very low for the bay area but you know five hundred thousand sure. dollars so seven percent that's you know so thirty five thousand dollars that you're paying for the for the we're both purchasing it and then later selling it right so $35,000 so um yeah so even if you mm-hmm. you know live there for 5 years right um that's that's $7,000 a year that you're paying just for that so if you live there for 5 years you know that's whatever $600 a month that you that you that you're basically still paying just for those fees if that, assuming you live there for 5 years um so that's quite a bit right when people think about the difference between buying and selling like just those fees alone are the things that, like you mentioned, that really matters a lot when you determine if buying a house or selling or, or renting makes sense. I think you really have to consider how long you want to spend, how long you plan to spend there, because that changes, I think, the economics of it um, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's, um, yeah, you, you also have to think, obviously, during that time period, you're paying down your mortgage. Um, probably, if you're talking about, uh, was it five years you said in this scenario? Yeah, I was just using that as an example, yeah. So you're probably not making that much of a dent um, in in the uh, principal pay down because you're paying majority of, of interest at that point in time. Uh, and that interest can be tax deductible, so it's not completely uh, wasted, but still that, that that's quite a lot still going to the interest side. And then really, if you're talking about five, five years, I mean, that, again, that's kind of on the low end. And so, um, you're really hoping for, uh, appreciation of, 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 of underlying appreciation of the, of the home. Yeah. I was curious to see if we had any stats on how long a homeowners typically keep their, like have their house for before they sell it. I don't know. I mean, five years, maybe it's pretty short, but, um, yeah, obviously not not everyone is is average, but I think it is I think something important to kind of 
be try to be realistic and i think sometimes people will think oh this is that this is our forever house and now you think things change like you know you get a job offer somewhere else or you know you want to be closer to family or further from family i don't know like um and so you know the, the idea of of, of buying a house and that you're actually going to hold the house for 30 years paying off the mortgage is pretty, pretty rare these days. And maybe it's a little bit more common back my parents' generation, for instance, but I would say more, more rare these days. Um, well, I don't know. This is just, I guess I'm just hypothesizing, but, um, you know, mm-hmm. oftentimes people have more kids than maybe that they first had or when they expected. And so like people want more space or, you know, things like COVID happen and they no longer want to live in, the, I mean, not that COVID is going to happen very often again, but just these are examples of things mm-hmm. that change people's uh, what what they want to do. So yeah, so yeah. Obviously, I think renting and having that flexibility of just oh, you know, this is this is not the best. This is not the place I would lo- I would choose to live right now if I could. But you know, when you buy a house, you really add that like layer of wow, I'm kind of stuck here, or like oh, what is the financial cost now of of moving and buying a new house? Because that's that's quite a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so go back to the, the stat of like, what's the most, uh, you know, what's the average lifespan of a mortgage um, under 10 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So, and um, that's uh, looks like as of uh, 2022. Okay. So that's fairly recent numbers, but um, that, that feels like a long time. Cause a lot of folks that I talk to uh, skew a little bit younger. I think it depends on the demographic too, how, how old they are and where they're living. But um, like you're saying, uh, you know, maybe it's their first home. The first home is rarely your forever home. Um, and so, yeah, you, you're probably going to be out of that pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, yeah, you're right. And you're speaking to all of the different preferences of, of folks of why people might want to move and, and, uh, yeah, you really have to, I think if you get nothing out of this episode, it's, it's really just, you have to run the numbers to figure out what, uh, the, the true difference is, um, one resource I point to that I, I really like that I do kind of on more of a spreadsheet method is um, Zillow and Redfin. They do a good job of getting rough averages. I mean, obviously they're not perfect, but um, in, in embedded in I think every listing there should be a calculator that it it has that you can you can see not just the principal and interest at a, at whatever the average rate is at the time. But uh, also, uh, does, is there HOAs? Um, you know, what what do average utilities cost? Um, you know, what, what other you know common common fees there may be? Uh, that, that does a rough a rough uh, a good job there. Um, and maybe this might be a good time to kind of talk about what I view as. A, a great metric to look at to see, okay, how much home, you know, if, if you are of the mindset that you want to buy a home, like how much home can you afford? And I like to, so if you look at the textbook definition uh, from the CFP curriculum, it is under 30%. Uh, you're ha- keeping your housing costs under 30% of, income. of your debt, of your debt to income ratio. Um, and so I take that a step further and I look at the, uh, I, I, cl- I classify the front end and then the back end debt to income ratio. So these are ratios that your lender underwriter will look at and uh, what, as you're getting pre-qualified or qualified for the mortgage and go through that process, they're going to take a look and that's why they need all these documents. But basically the front end is, is, the, is the gross income. 
that doesn't include items like your taxes, your your uh, payroll deductions, your retirement contributions, and so on. So um, I like to use the back end debt to income ratio because that gives us a much pl- clearer picture of what actually hits the bank account every so often. And so we know that when you go uh, in front of a mortgage broker and you say, okay, how much uh, home can I qualify for? That's a very different uh, answer. You'll get a very different answer than how much home can I afford? Sure. So I like to use, um, for, for, for most markets, particularly those that are higher costs, under, uh, if you can keep it under 30, fantastic. But probably more realistically, if you can keep it under 40%, and have 40% debt income on the back end. In other words, you take your paycheck and you use that. So how you get to this this figure is you, you use a calculator like on Zillow or Redfin that shows you, okay, this is how much the housing costs will look like. And then you also add in, importantly, your any other debts that you may have, student loans, credit card bills, or just any re- auto loans, anything that you may have recurring. You add all of those up and then you just divide that by your um your paycheck and, and make sure you convert it into monthly terms so um you know obviously if you're paid bi-weekly you've got 26 pay periods and then i divide that by 12 um and if you're paid twice a month that's pretty easy just multiply that by two so um that is a real rough way to get a rule of thumb to say okay um i'm looking at a home price and it's it's kind of working backwards because you say like okay what's like, oh, I'm looking at homes that are 500,000 or 600,000 or whatever. You get that number and then you divide that out. And so you can kind of work your way into, oh, okay, this is what 40, this is what the top end of that is, 40%. Um, and so that might be a helpful method for folks out mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I think um, buying a house is something that people can, I would argue, like, you really spend a lot of their, of their, of their monthly budget on. Um, and so, yeah, I think be aware of what the difference is between being qualified and sort of what, it, what is, is, is necessarily prudent and making sure that you're able to continue to make that mortgage every month, right? Because if you don't, like, then it, the bank essentially can, can can take it back from you. And so, making sure that um, you have some you have some savings to cover if you know if you're not able to make a payment or you lose your job and things like that, or you know, depending on the security of your job or how many income sources you have, those are you know really important because um, you know you don't want to lose your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge. You don't want to be on the streets there, and and so j- just a, a another item on that is I like to use stable sources of income. So if you've got a bonus, I, I strongly advocate that if you're going to include the bonus, that that is you you, you maybe add some layer a layer of conservatism. Maybe that's some percentage much lower than what your stated bonus is at. Um, there can be all sorts of marketing conditions that are thrown out there that uh, you just haven't been around that company long enough during that period of time where that could be a real surprise. Um, a lot of times folks think of uh, more, um, uh, my my technical definition here, lumpy cash flows uh, is used for uh, other goals and savings where, uh, you know, just counting like your base salary, I think is, is, a, is a real good uh, uh, way to, to make sure that you're not overspending in, in that in that way. So, so let's talk about some of the, um, I would say, well, I guess a couple of, a couple of things we could talk about. One is, uh, I think, doing again going back to like should you buy or should you rent i think one resource that i really recommend and we'll link in the show notes is um like i think new york times has a really good kind of interactive calculator that um you can put in things like the purchase price how much the uh you know the loan is the interest rate and a lot of different factors which 
it's challenging because you may not know all the different factors. Like it's hard to know what exactly inflation will be or um, what will the, uh, you know, how much the house will appreciate every year, but you can kind of see how, how sort of sensitive um, this decision is based on some of these inputs, but it'll basically tell you, okay, if, you know, assuming you're buying a house that is kind of of equal type or terms of like you're getting kind of the same thing, it would say that based on, you know, this price and all these different inputs. And if you lived here for this long, you know, it, you would, you would basically um, save money if your rent, if, if your rent was, you know, below this or above this and so like that's kind of give you that kind of that, that, that like, what is the equivalent rent essentially? And you'll see that it, obviously if the longer time you spend in the house, um, the more, the better financial it is to, to buy, for instance, and, and vice versa. Um, so that's one resource I really recommend, and it's quite interactive, and it's pretty simple um, to use. And it has, I think, has fairly reasonable kind of defaults for those kind of values. Um, so that, that's something that's one, one thing I would check, definitely check out. Yeah, yeah. It's just to reiterate what you're, you're talking about. It's, it's like there are so many different uh, variables in a home purchase versus a rent. You know, rent is pretty simple. Like, what's the market? Uh, you know, it's it's this much for this many bedrooms, this much square footage. You know, this part of town, um, and and it's it's the other for you know. So you're able to get averages pretty 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 quickly. Um, you know, it's not always abundantly clear like what your property tax rate's going to be and how much of that's going to be in a monthly basis. What your homeowner's uh, insurance will look like. Um, I think you should know those things you know, before you buy a house. You, you, right? you definitely, you, you definitely should because yeah. you don't want to find out that yeah. oh wow, this is actually much more than I anticipated, right? Because that's, that's for sure, really for place. sure. I, I, I'm just saying when you when you first start down this path, it's it's not it's not as easy as oh okay, I just you know here's how much I can afford because it's it's the principal and interest payment. Like there's like all of those different costs that we listed out. So um, when you move those levers around, how does that impact things? Like what what does that do to the overall? And it could just be a simple spreadsheet. But what you're the 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 resource that you're referring to is is it's drawing links to these different relationships. So as interest rates rise. So at the time of this recording, interest rates, the Fed is raising rates. Interest rates are spiking quite a bit. Um, and the Fed's been very uh, uh, clear that they're going to keep raising rates until they get inflation down. And so, um, you know, the equivalent amount of home that you could buy a year ago um, it, it, from a purchase price standpoint has gone down because more of it's going to interest. So, um, yeah, how do those relationships factor in? How long do you plan to be there? Um, it is a pretty cool tool that that New York Times uh, uh, resource that you mentioned. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Um, I want to talk about some of the other things that I often hear people kind of say that I think are, are kind of um, worth discussing in terms of like justifying buying a house and, you know, one of them is, is oftentimes, well, you know, I think that, especially in the Bay Area, a lot you hear this, which is, and it, you know, oh, the house, the prices of houses just keep going up, right? It's like a, it's a great investment. It's, you know, I'm going to make so much money on it. I'll, you know, I can sell the mm -hmm. house in X years for twice as much, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess the one thing I would would I would say to that is is really about you know what is what you know if you're not putting money into a house, you, you would presumably be putting it in some other investment. So it's really, you know, there's an opportunity cost. Um, and yeah, yeah, I guess you, you know, you are getting some, some leverage by buying a house because you're, you're paying a, at least in the beginning, you're, you're only paying a small down payment potentially for an entire house. Um, but I think it's, it's something that it's presumably if you had all this extra money, 
that you would also be investing in. But we didn't, we talked about how it actually, for some people, you know, having this, this, this fixed monthly payment that you're required to pay every month can be good. It's the kind of can be a forcing function and of getting people to, to save every month. But um, yeah, curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. With regard to a uh, force, yeah, it's force savings, or as well as sort of like the, um, you know, the, the primary home as an investment, um, and and what it's like. How does that compare to other type of investments? Oh, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that that's a really big one. Um, yeah, if if you're so obviously you've got the power of leverage of of a mortgage, so you're only putting in a certain percentage, and you have you own quote unquote this this piece of property that can appreciate and so when you go to sell it uh you know that that 20 or or you know 15 or 20 or whatever 25 percent you put down um can grow in addition to you paying down your mortgage uh and and, and the value uh increases so yeah leverage i think is a powerful thing um yeah this is this is an interesting topic you know can, if you're trying to compare can you do the same in a in an investment portfolio? I I don't know if you're able to get exactly. I mean, you certainly could get uh, access to, to to personal lines of credit of of uh, or margin from your own uh, account, but I don't think you're able to get it to that degree. I mean, you could certainly get a a, a leveraged. Uh, you can invest in a leveraged ETF, um, but that that can be really challenging from a day to day there's some things that occur in those particular types of vehicles um so all that to say is it's it's, it's hard to get that same level as as readily accessible across income levels as you would get if you were extended the mortgage i mean that's that's pretty pretty uh uh yeah pretty pretty standard that uh, even though rates even though getting a mortgage is a lot harder these days than it was back in 2008 it's still readily accessible sure. to folks um so so yeah that leverage i think is a really powerful one when you think about investment but on the flip side i mean what is the, yeah what is the rate of return someone can expect from a house versus a you know like a, like a yeah, stock like the, you know, an index fund or something like that yeah, like where 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 are you living? Are you buying at are you buying in 2005 when prices were at all-time highs? Um there are some markets where prices haven't have only just recently uh come back to these 2005 levels. Um uh, other places again like the Bay Area where prices just keep to continue to uh accelerate higher and higher. Um so I think it really depends on on the purchase price of, of when you're buying in. I mean, that that's a big one. Obviously, the cost to, to, to service that, the debt on that as well. That's a really big one. Are you, in, are you in a higher interest rate period of time, or did you buy it when it was back when it was a lower interest rate period of time? That's that's another big item. Um, but but the other thing too is just like how long do you plan to to live in the home? Um, if you plan to live in it for quite some time, I mean especially if, if you're older and you, you know this you feel like you could own this property you're never tapping into the equity so unless you sell it unless you take out a home equity line of credit which can be expensive because you're paying interest on that um so it's 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 tough because you're if you if you Talking about your primary home as an investment, sure, yeah, you've got the element of you paying down the mortgage and 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 you know building the equity over time as it, as it grows. But yeah, it, it can be very inconsistent because you have to to then move in order to gain access to the right. It's equity. not as as easily accessible, right? Or you know, if um, 
yeah, right. It's, it's, you know, I think it's something that I think, well, for instance, yeah, you, you buy a home that's for, for the, maybe the whole family that and, you know, the children you're raising and then eventually they, they leave the house. Right. And now this house is like a lot bigger than you would really need it. Right. And like, um, do, do you want to then you know, sell this house that you lived in for a long time and you get a slightly, you know, a smaller house that's more, you know, fit to your needs or do you end up just keeping it because that's, you know, because it's just, yeah, it costs money to sell it and the, the transaction costs and the, yeah. the work involved. Sentimentality so um, then you end up kind of just maintaining a house that's much larger. And yeah, you, that, 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 the, the value of the house that's factored into your net worth is not something that you can really, you know, it, it, yeah, it is a place that you can live. So it is kind of covering that portion of whatever budget you would have, but it, the rest of the extra value is not something that you can really easily mm, capture unless you're ready to move. Yeah, and to your point about yeah, if you if, if you you're an empty nester, your your kids have fully launched, and uh, you know you don't necessarily need this big of a house. Um, that may not always line up with the timing of when the real. If you're trying to optimize, that may not always line up with it's a great time to sell. So like maybe you change jobs um, and you have to move. I mean, again, that's that's not always doesn't always line up for when it's a great time to sell. So. Um, you know, I think that's another important factor too, is this relationship between the stock market and the real estate market. And I don't think that they're always correlated, but there definitely can be times when, um, you know, you want to sell and uh, like say, it's, it's not a good time or, or maybe you have your home down payment in a, in the stock market and, and, um, you know, it's, it's overinvested there, but it's a good time to buy. So, but the market's down. So it's, it's always this kind of push and pull of, of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the fundamental case of you just locking these dollars up for quite some period of time. And, and it may be an unknown, uh, of, of your exit strategy, uh, cause it, it largely depends too on personal preference, like you're saying. Yeah. And I think that's, to me, that's what, home, you know, buying a home or that's decision, you know, has to really come down to it. It has to be a, a personal preference. I think it's pretty difficult to you can't really make it a purely a financial decision because there's so many other factors that um, pros and cons of each one, right. That, that it's, it's not just financial. Right. Um, but I, I would, I think what I'm trying, what I think it's really important is that people understand what is the, what is the financial cost of, of each, of each decision. And, you know, mm -hmm. being, just being aware of like, what is the price that you're paying for all the other benefits whatever whatever path you choose what are what are what are you paying for that and how much would an alternative cost because i think that some um, people might be surprised and you know there's a lot of kind of these rules of thumbs and kind of mental shortcuts that people might take or they hear and um i think if you it helps to really just kind of put some put some real numbers into it and get some examples because I think that can really provide a lot of clarity pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and I'll just say too that if you're talking about purely as an investment and you want to look at it purely as an investment, I mean, what you would buy to 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 win on that side is going to be very different than what you would for most folks. Most folks do not want to jump into a fixer-upper uh, and want to do that while they're living in it, while they're working, uh, usually at another, uh, you know, completely li different line of work. Um, some folks really like that. Some folks, uh, that's that's their kind of weekend warriors and they love to do that. And that's great. Um, even, even despite you know, you jumping into a fixer-upper, there's all sorts of pitfalls that folks can, can get into that um, way over their head. And, and you know, you, 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 
uh, it's, it's, it seems like every project that I do, it's like, uh, okay, I, I do one thing and then, oh, there's all of these other things that has to be done or, or you don't realize, oh no, there's, there's mold there or there's rot or there's whatever. And I have to replace that too. And so cost overruns and things that may seem easy may not be, uh, as, as they first appeared. So, yeah, I mean, most folks want more of a turnkey, um, you know, and to try to, to get as much as they can. I mean, obviously paint's one thing, but, but yeah, just like more of the, a new kitchen or, or bathrooms or whatever we're done. So, um, y- you know, that's, th- somebody has done all that legwork for you. And, and so obviously that's built into the price. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think the other way people can sometimes consider their house an investment too is, you know, certainly if, you know, it's a very popular way to, to bring in kind of additional income is, is buying a house for the purpose of, of renting it, of, of being a landlord, right? Um, I think that can be a very successful way of, of making additional money. Um, not something that I personally have much of experience or expertise in, but you know, there are definitely uh, a lot of great resources out there and um, it is, it's, it's a business, right? Um, and I think sometimes, well, oftentimes when I, when we talk about, for instance, Oh, you know, how long are you going to live in this house? Are you, you, you do, are you, do you feel confident in that? And people say, Oh, well, you know, if I don't, if I'm only going to live there for three years, I'll just rent it out afterwards. Right. And it's like, well, okay, yes, you can do that. Right. But, you know, what, what kind of house, you know, if you end up doing that and then you kind of just fall into a business, right? You, 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 it's, it's a business, whether it's profitable or not, or it's a good business, it's still a business. And so I think if, if you were to go out and, and choose to have a business of buying a house for the house that you rent out, you'd probably rent, a, you'd probably purchase a very different house and, and the numbers would be potentially very different. And so I think it, again, if someone want if someone, Think that that's a possibility that they might move and that they'd want to keep rent, rent it out you know do a little numbers trying to understand what would the rent be for that you know what is like that kind of expected you know vacancy rate and like what is the the revenue that you think you would bring in and does that really make sense then because oftentimes it, it i don't think it does i think the type of house that you would buy for rental income is is a different type of house that you would buy for yourself probably um, especially depending on what market you are especially if you're in a kind of very high cost of living place the the um buying a house for the purpose of renting it just it, as a business doesn't work out very well, but, um, in lower cost of living places, it, it can work out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great point. Um, you know, ask, ask the realtor that you're working with, you know, what, what is the, if that's uh, something going, you're going in with, um, what is the, uh, what is the potential there, uh, on the, on the rental income side? And then you have to make some projections as well. Um, okay, if I'm going to live in this for five years, I'm, I'm making some assumptions like r- rent's going to be, you know, going up from here, and uh, that may or may not be the case. I know, and, and this is, of course, maybe once in a, a lifetime, hopefully, um, uh, the, the, the pandemic uh, that that completely changed the the game, and so a lot of a lot of landlords, particularly in high cost of living cities, uh, were were. You know, boohoo. Uh, you know, so sad for them. But uh, you know, they they had a lower rents quite a bit. So um, it's 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 tough. If you're living, if if you're, let's say you're you're um, trying to to really. I mean, this is a whole another can of worms, and maybe a future episode as well. But like trying to to locate and buy a, an investment property, um, you might do that where the uh, obviously the cost of ownership is is much closer to. The, uh, the the rental cost and hopefully lower, um, and so that may be in specific 
parts of the country or the world that um, maybe they have a, a high supply of, of homes um, or, or maybe they maybe they just had uh, are going to have they, they have like a, a burgeoning uh, economy or, or, or workforce uh, or specific employer that's that's in the area that'll really draw uh, you know, folks need a place to live and sleep so um, you know, some some people might, you know, in, in a more speculative way, try to to guess where the next hot market might be. You know, where's the next Austin, the the next Denver, and, and all of that sort of thing. So um, that can be risky depending on the market, because uh, you know what happens if if again in a bad bad market that particular employer pulls out. I mean, there was just uh, news the other day uh, that that Caterpillar is relocating from from Illinois to to Texas, or you know, a lot of these big big companies uh, just just can move. Obviously, it takes some time, and and uh, uh, you know, there may be other employers in the area, but but these are just some things that you think about as as you're trying to 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 buy uh, investment properties. And um, the other big element too is is just the property management costs, not, not many people are factoring mm-hmm. that in. Um, so that can really eat away at any, even if you're cash flowing above the, the, uh, the, the, mortgage. the, the property, the mortgage, the mortgage costs and other costs of uh, property tax uh, insurance and so forth. Uh, you know, if you, if, if you're not making more than 10% profit margin, then you're going to be uh, underwater. And, you know, it's it's that's not a, a really attractive place to be in, especially when you compare that to something that is a lot less a passive. Uh, th- th- you know, obviously they say rental income is is a great source of passive income, but uh, in really, a lot of cases, truly passive, it, right? I mean, yeah, exactly, it's, it's, exactly. When you compare that to a stock market, for sure. I mean, you deal with you know issues. You, yeah, when 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 the tenant has a problem, they call they call you, or yeah, again, if you, if you outsource it to a property management company, then then they're going to charge a fee for that. And there's there's still like larger, you know, maintenance issues that are going to have to deal with a property management firm, but they're not going to replace the roof on your house, for instance, right? Um, they might, I, I don't know, <laughs> probably not. So um, definitely, yeah, definitely a semi, you know, part-time job. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, let me also be clear too, I've had a lot of clients as well who have been very successful at this, um, but it's, it's one of those things where they've built up uh, a specific uh, set of criteria and what they look to invest in and, and uh, what they'll uh, spend money on to improve the property. And, and so there's a lot of learning lessons uh, to, 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 to go through. Um, but, you know, people... Fundamentally, I, I think there's also an aversion of if, if they don't understand the stock market, and but they do understand, okay, well, hey, I if I replace, if I just fix up this this kitchen, um, you know, it's going to go rent for a higher rate. Uh, people really like they're attracted to stuff that they can see and feel and tangibly make improvements on uh, versus the uncertainties of the market. So, so that's I think why a lot of folks are, are, are interested in there. And again, the leverage effect, um, there's some tax benefits as well. A uh, lot, lot, lot to, to say on the rental side, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume out the gate without running the numbers of, oh, I could just rent this property out if I, if I you know, that, that may not be the best uh, case, especially if you're only going to be there for a handful of years or a year. 
Um, wonderful. Um, I think, yeah, I think again, there's, there's a lot more to be said about, about, uh, uh, home ownership and, and when it makes sense to, to buy a home, um, don't discount renting. I think that's, that's one of the big takeaways, run the numbers, see if, if these, uh, these costs actually work out in your favor. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely going to be some element of, uh, whether you do it or not, you're making an assessment of what, if you buy a home, what the, the, prospects of a potential growth in the future of of that particular home um, i don't think many people are buying homes at the height of the market and and know that they're at the height of the market so they just they just sort of always assume that it'll continue to to grow and that'll completely depend on the market and uh you know where you're where you're at so yeah definitely run the numbers um seek expertise from um professionals as well i mean realtors are, are there just more than just uh there to facilitate the paperwork you know they should be uh very skilled and and give you the the data points that you need in order to make a a good decision um obviously recognizing that they can be biased much like the mortgage brokers where they obviously the, the higher the cost and that's sort of the direction they may be but good ones will not do that and they will say okay uh because they recognize that a quick sale is is not a long-term success uh, uh, going forward. So they, they'll likely, uh, you know, give you a little bit more information um, and they should be knowledgeable about the area. And so there's all sorts of things too that you can, you know, uh, resources out there that you can look at to, to see what, um, what uh, may be a, a good thing to, to, to look at for in a mortgage broker or in a uh, realtor. Anything else on, on your end, Lauren, uh, before we wrap this particular subject? And again, I know there's probably a lot more to, to say on this topic. No, I don't think so. Other than just run the numbers, look at the numbers. Don't have to make the decision based on the numbers, but just, yeah, be, be aware of them and, and yeah, fact, try to factor as many things as you can. Yeah, a, a data point, maybe not the data point, but a, a set of, of data points in, in terms of the uh, preferences and, and potential emotion. Um, I know it's a lot of fun going on Zillow and, and just uh, dreaming. So mm. um, definitely, definitely done that myself. So um, anyways, curious to hear your all's thought about uh, this particular episode. Don't hesitate to drop us a line at uh, feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. That's feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Let us know, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, uh, uh, you know, if, if there's anything else that you'd like to add to the conversation. So look forward to the next episode and, and hope you all have a great rest of your day. Take care. We're a new podcast, and it would mean the world to us if you took a moment to write a review in the Apple Podcasts app or share this episode with a friend or family member. We'd like to hear from you. Is there a topic you're interested in? Have feedback more generally? Email us at feedback at maxfinancepodcast.com. Thanks, and see you next time.